1: They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
2: Hello and welcome to the Norland Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith. Joining me this week are Natalie, Kevin and James score for another home win at Turf uh, most. Sixth of the season in front of our own fans. 1-0 triumph over Middlesbrough on Boxing Day. Festive three points for the Carrots that nudged us above Borough in the table. Safely up into mid-table away from the relegation zone. Uh, not much of a spectacle though, Natalie. Horrible conditions, horrible game. But it's the result that counts.
3: Absolutely. It definitely wasn't one for the purists, was it? Um, but you know what? It was always going to be like that was this game. And and regardless of the hype of, of the Premier League and the quality of some of the games um, that you see in that league, the reality of Premier League life is that it is a very lucrative division to be playing in and the stakes are very, very high. And what the result of that is, is that the bottom sides, it's so important for those sides to stay in the Premier League and not get relegated that teams... It, it's almost like quality or entertainment football is just a nice to have. Um, and so I think two sides, Burnley versus Middlesbrough two newly promoted sides who are in a relegation scrap together. It was never going to be free flowing football. Neither side was going to be able to um, commit players forward to try and um, create some attacking flair. They were always going to sit tight and very much from the first minute, actually, it, it had a feel of a game of two sides that simply couldn't lose the game and um, I'm not going to go as far as to say that both sides set up for the draw, because I think that's incredibly difficult. And I I certainly don't think we did that, not intentionally anyway. But there were certainly two sides there who realised that they couldn't afford to lose. And what normally happens in those scenarios is it's either a nil-nil draw or somebody nicks it as a one nil So, yeah, I'm absolutely delighted with the result, um, albeit it wasn't the most entertaining (laughs) football. But I agree with you, Jamie. I don't care. The points matter.
2: Yeah, well, this day, at the end of the day, people aren't going to remember how <laughs> poor a game was are going to remember whether or not we stayed up or not. Um, mentioned the conditions briefly there, James, I don't know if it came across um, on the highlights on Match of the Day and stuff, but really windy, heavy rain, it's almost inevitable that a game doesn't have a lot of quality when it's so difficult to play.
4: Yeah, it was really bustery actually at the turf, It it, it was quite a mild day temperature-wise, but... Um, I think it's one of the coldest I've felt this season so far. Like the, the game, just because of that wind, it was, you know, really biting wind. Strong, it was blustery, it wasn't always in one direction. Um, and I think it, you know, affected the game significantly. You know, particularly when uh, I think both sides played, you know, a fair bit of direct football, which it doesn't really benefit from, from windy conditions. It's obviously better to keep it on the deck. But on the whole, I thought actually we were the dominant side, I think... Um, See Karanka said after the game that he felt they dominated, but I thought, you know, we put in a really good show in. Um, we just, again, lacked that sort of bit of quality in the final third that, that meant maybe we could have put it to bed a bit earlier rather than obviously relying on a, a bit of dodgy goalkeeping to, to get us over the line. But, you know, the wind played a, a major part and I think you saw that when Defoe came on because I, I think he you know, had the quality to, to realise when he was putting balls into the box that you have to keep it a little bit lower in those conditions and you know, try and keep it out of the blistery bits, which earlier on, obviously Scott Arthur had been taking corners and I think we saw so many just get caught in the wind and, and drift away from his intended target.
2: Yeah, I think with the the wind-changing direction and stuff like that, it just makes it really hard to uh, adapt to the conditions as well. But yeah, I agree, to force seemed to make a, a big difference um, from the bench. Uh, Kevin, this sort of scrappy 1-0 win where either side could win it, it felt like the sort of game to me like in the last two Premier League seasons that we've just not won. Maybe they've gone the other way and they've really costed in the end, but to be able to grind out a win like that, a bit different to the wins that we've had this season. Um, it gives me a lot of confidence that we are going to stay up now. The fact that we've been able to beat a team that's around us in the table in a very tight match that didn't really have much in it.
5: Yeah, I think I think we've 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 generally struggled with those those games against the teams around us. Um, we've, we've I think we've done quite well in our time in the Premier League against some of the, the bigger clubs. But what has let us down has been losing games and, and not winning games against the teams around at the bottom of the bottom end of the table. So it's fantastic to we we obviously we, we drew with Hull earlier in the season. We got beat by Swansea. So. Uh, it's good to get a, to get a win in this one. I think that's going to be really big at the end of the season. I agree with what a lot of what people have been saying so far on the podcast. I think, I think you know, we, we were just talking about the wind as well. There, it's, I think we struggle with with set balls all game. Um, balls going in the yeah, air, like I say, they were going everywhere. So I think, but I think it's great to say actually that our goal came for a free kick as well, which was quite, was quite interesting. I think we we reacted we very well. I think we we adapted into the game a little bit more, and yeah, I think we we just it's one of those we said before the game it was going to be a scrappy game uh, we said it was probably going to be um, either it's going to be nil nil, or it's going to be 1-0 to either side um, and, and we got it and it was fantastic I think it's going to be a really big boost to our not just it's going to be a big boost to us in, in the season as a whole but a big boost to get a, a win against a team at the bottom um, who we really need to be at this t- stage of the season uh, We
2: spoke about team selection last week on the podcast Natalie a lot of us teams think it will be back to 4-5-1, that's worked quite well at home this season. Instead, Dash stayed with the 4-4-2 that we had at Spurs that worked quite well. Uh, Barnes and Graves' partnership uh, seems to be coming on a little bit. How do you think it went? Obviously, Defoe still left out. He came on for the last 15 minutes, made a bit of a difference, but that's the first home game that I don't think he's played since we signed him
3: yeah it was it's was quite interesting seeing the the team sheet come out at beginning of the game and it did pr- provoke some quite um strong opinions on social media before the game a lot of fans very very critical of sort Deitch for leaving de four out um I was disappointed not to see him start, but to be honest there's the main reason for me for me for my disappointment sorry was that we very rarely get players like Stephen DeFore at Turf Moor in our side, and it's only in recent successes that we've been able to sign players with such flair and such quality. So it's a natural reaction that fans want to see him play every single week. I don't. I want to see him play. I want to see that quality. I want to see him live, and I want to see him passing the ball around Turf Moor. Of course I do. But again, we go back to the first point that we said in the opening stages of this podcast. It's very much about the results. And Sean Dyche obviously felt that the 4-4-2 that worked so well against Spurs, and it did, we were all at the game um, against Spurs, and that first half was a really, really strong performance. So in that sense, it doesn't surprise me that he chose to start the same players in the same formation as he did at Spurs. I assume believing that it would be more effective against a weaker side in Middlesbrough than, than the strong side that Spurs were. So... While it's disappointing, it, it was good to see that it was effective and it you know it, they did play well. I think we had a shaky first 15 minutes. There were a few players out of sorts. I think Michael Keane especially looked really um, uncharacteristically um, a bit off for the first 15 minutes. But once that opening stage... Sort of passed. Um, they look, they look fine, and and you know it's a big call from Deitch um, and he had to get it right because if he, if he'd have made that call and got it wrong, there was going to be a huge amount of pressure from him from throwing away a chance to get three massive points from another relegation rival.
4: On the just quickly on the default thing, I thought there was one, uh, one moment that was maybe one of the strangest things I've ever seen at the turf. He hadn't done anything, you know, particularly special by that point, but he went over to take a corner. And the whole ground started giving him a standing ovation, which I think you know gives you an idea of obviously how fans felt he should yeah. have been playing. Uh,
3: I saw say, that as I've well. I've never seen that. Well, it was right down the corner where I sit. Actually, was that thing? I do you know. I think that was because I thought the same as you, Birdie, when they did that. I thought well, that's a bit odd. He's he's only been on the pitch about five minutes, and and whilst it was good to see. Passes actually finding their men and really good crosses going in i think it was more of a reaction to the press reports this week about him being unhappy that have surfaced in um foreign newspaper from journalists saying that he's unhappy at being benched and obviously fans have picked up on the fact that there's something going on and is' a little bit unhappy to be dropped and i think it was i think it was a show of support of saying like you know we love you don't we don't disappear and leave us more than anything else
5: i think i think hopefully that's really important because we know that he had a a really big or should we say, relationship with fans um, um, in his last club? So I think hopefully, yeah, hopefully we can really show him that we, we really appreciate him, we're really behind him, we really want him to uh, to get back into the team and, and have a big impact in our season. And hopefully, you know, none of us really know how he's feeling, but if he is feeling a little bit um, disenchanted at the moment, hopefully we can all get behind him and, and it, him and Dice and the team and everyone can, can, can come through and he can come into the side. Get a, good running the side again and have a big impact on the season
2: yeah I mean I'm sure we'll come on to the the Sunderland game towards the end of the podcast but I think um Hendricks suspended and Marnie possibly injured so it'd be a massive surprise if Forest not in the team um for the Sunderland game but then we said that last week so um we'll have to keep an eye on that one uh moving on to the goal itself then James right at the end of the game DeFore had a very small impact winning the free kick um that we scored from, but it was the sort of instinctive finish from Andre Gray that we saw a lot last season and not really seen enough of this season, but with the service he's had, the suspension he's had, chances have been at a premium, but it's going to be a massive boost for him to get his second goal of the season.
4: Yeah, it's it's fallen to him in that place that I think I've mentioned so many times on the podcast, you know, getting the ball sort of around the penalty area between the two, you know, edges of the six-yard box and he's got half a chance to score, you know, he takes it, hits it well, Valdez arguably should should say that he's got both hands on it. It's a really poor goal for the keeper to concede, but you know Gray's done exactly what I think we expect of him. He's 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 got a chance and he's taken it. Um, and I thought he had a really good game in general. The only thing that sort of uh, held his game back was that he was up against Gibson, who I think has a little bit more pace than your average centre half, and he made it really difficult for Gray to sort of get away every time the ball did come over the top. But it showed that. If we play balls over the top for Gray, then, you know we have got a chance of getting goals that way. I think
5: you know, I think Valdez's fumbling makes the goal look worse than it was. I think Gray does very well. We got the ball f- caught forward very quickly. Gray reacts so quickly that Valdez hasn't really got a chance to you know um, position himself and get himself prepared for the shot. And the, the shot's got so much um, power on it that it, I, think, I think it's more. I don't think it's so much that Valdez has done a bad job at stopping it. I think it's more that. Grace put so much behind it, but it, it, it was very, very difficult to for, for Valdez to stop. It's, for, I think, it's a combination of that power and also just how quickly Gray reacted. That Valdez, I think he, it, it's not, it's not going to down, go down in his highlights reel. But I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as it as it looks. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think um, I've I said it was a bit of a bit of magic and a bit of a mistake. I think it's a, a bit of both. It seemed to it bounced just before it got to him. That's always a bit awkward for a goalkeeper in the conditions as well. It was a tough one, but I think um, Middlesbrough fans at the start of the season, when they signed Valdez, they seemed to think they were getting one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So <laughs> I think you certainly think he should have saved it. And I think if we concede that goal, people maybe go, you yeah, expect Tom Heaton to save it. So yeah, I think uh, credit to Gray for, for the early shots. I think that's really important and showed a bit of confidence because he maybe wouldn't have done that a few weeks ago. But yeah, Valdez should be saving now I think.
5: On the early shot I, as well, I, I think, think that's something that... I think that's something what, what gives us something a little bit different. When we've been playing Volks up front by himself, that's not something Volks can really do. It's, I think Vokes needs a lot more t- time the ball a bit more. He's quite good at being in the right place at the right time, but he's not going to um, kind of create something like that and be very quick at reacting to something. And I think um, that's something that Ray himself is very good at. Um, so that, I think that was good to see.
2: Yeah, I think... Um... It just showed for me that he's starting to get back to to the Andre Gray that we expect. It was a difficult game for him yesterday, obviously. Borough quite solid at the back. We didn't really create an awful lot for Andre Gray. That's probably the only sniffer goal he had um, in the whole match. And we scored a goal from it, regardless of of whether or not it was a mistake from Valdes. I read some comments on Natalie saying that he did nothing but score Andre Gray. Isn't that... Like, his job, that's <laughs> not what we're paying for. Like, it seems, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It seems a little bit harsh to say, yeah, the striker whose job is to score goals, he didn't do anything
3: He else. did that. And it, I know it, it's a really funny one. And, and I think um, that there's quite a lot of, I heard the, the same as you guys had. I heard quite a lot of uh, grumbling around me at the game. Um, players just berating, uh, sorry, fans just berating him all the way through the game. And I, I'm not entirely sure what they expect of him to be honest and I think one of the one of the biggest problems that I have with criticism over Andre is that people people say you know he doesn't score enough or he doesn't do enough or he's very lazy or blah 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 all of this stuff but he's got Practically zero supply line at the moment in this side. We've talked and talked and talked at length about the lack of um, creativity in that side. And until he has players who can feed him the balls that he can run onto or can create chances for him out of midfield, then I don't really know what ex- what else he expects out of him. Um, I was the same actually. My gut instinct when the, the, the we were all talking before, sorry, after the game yesterday, and we were trying to um, decide what rating we thought we gave each of the players. We, I, my gut instinct instinct was to mark andre quite low because I did feel that he had... I was on that same category of people who thought he had quite a quiet game, which he did. Um, and Kevin actually um, summed it up for me really well when he put it in the, in the text and said, you know, he, he might have had a quiet game, but as a striker he wasn't quite when he needed to be, and he scored the goal, and that's really true. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter what else he does in the game, as long as when the chance is created for him, he's there and he does what his job is. So, I think... You know, I think I'd quite like to knock some of this um, criticism of Andre's game on the head at the moment, and say until we get some better supply line and some better creativity in that side, then we can start judging him to see just how well he's going to do in this division.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just I can't remember chances that he's missed really all season. There was um, the only one at Spurs that Lloris saved. You maybe should have put that one away, but that's the only one I can really think of where it's like Andre Gray has missed a really good chance then, and it's cost us like the service has just not been there all season and for me if if he scores the winner he can just sit by the corner flag all game or like be on his phone or well probably not on his phone that's not a good idea especially not on twitter but he can be like doing jigsaws and crossword he can do whatever he wants if he scores the winning goal he can do what he wants so yeah i'm not bothered whether he chases down over hit passes or presses the opposition that much for me his job is to make the difference and that's what he did um in this game um james ashley barnes seems to have a a running battle with callum james i felt that like he was being fouled a lot um well he didn't really get in the game much for me barnes samvolts came on and created the goal do you think that might be a, a swap that we see for games coming forward
4: yeah it, it could be i think i think part of the problem with barnes you know when he gets into these uh these battles is that referees seem to have his name. I think as you know, someone who is looking to to win, you know, win free kicks and someone who's maybe, you know, playing the game on the edge. I think both him and obviously trying to force his opponent to play right on the edge. And as a result, he doesn't necessarily get some of the stuff he's is entitled to because, you know, I thought, you know, the game on the game yesterday, it wasn't a, a, an eleven booking game. You know, it's ridiculous it's ended up being that many bookings. But somehow, in a game where there's more bookings than it deserved, I think maybe Chambers got away with a few that could have been bookings. And, um, you know, he he was pushing in the back of Barnes a lot. And, you know, like I said, I know Barnes often looks for those sort of challenges. But these were, you know, cut and dry. And they they were pretty forceful pushes in the back. And the referee, to me, that was the most incompetent referee in performance I've seen this season. I thought it was absolutely shambolic, and you know, you, you can't say it's sour grapes because at the end of the day, we've won the game. But I think he's done neither side any favors. You know, he's made the game break up too much, and he set the precedent early on by you know booking someone in the first sort of ninety seconds, which is almost unseen because normally, you know, a referee will go to the player and say, you know, it's early on, calm down. You know, I don't want to book people so early, but it's just. One of those games, I think, where Barnes was just getting bullied uh, all game. But Volks, I thought, came on, uh, you know, did what you expect of Volks. Didn't really see too much action other than obviously helping out for the goal. Um, but we know what Gray and Volks did together last season. So I think, you know, there's potential there that that, that could be how we line up upon there. Uh, on New Year's Eve, but I think it could be all change anyway, obviously with Hendrick now being uh, suspended.
2: Yeah, I think um, this time of year when you've got the games so close together you'd normally see a bit of rotation anyway No I know Dashlight's settled team but I think could be too much of a surprise if there was uh, a couple of changes that weren't forced um, as well, but we'll come on to that a bit later. Um, one of the changes that we did see, uh, the only change, was it the only change? Uh, Flanagan came in for Lawton. talked about this on the podcast last week, what I should do. I suspected he might have gone to Tarkovsky. Um, another mixed bag, really, from, from Flanagan, Kevin. We seem to play quite well when he plays, weirdly. I think we've only lost one of the six league games he's played in this season. Um, but he, he still doesn't really look like a defender at times. It's really weird.
5: No, I think it's it's hard to judge really because a, a lot of Middlesbrough's most... Um, Their biggest attacks, I thought, came down his side, but I thought they were really targeting him. Um, You see, every time they got the ball forward, they were targeting it over to their their left hand side, so our right side. They were going down, down Flanagan's side. It's almost like they'd identified him as a bit of a weakness. Um, And a lot of the time he looked impressive. He looked like he came away. He's he's still, I think, like, I think it was James the other week mentioned, but he's got the most bizarre tackling um, style ever. Uh, but he, a lot of the time, he, he did quite well. But then there's another, there's just other times where he just it, it doesn't quite work, and he looks a bit like he's not even a footballer. Uh, there's a, a couple of occasions where he, he 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 just he didn't get the ball when he should have done. There's a couple of occasions where he gave the ball away far too easily for my liking. Um, I don't want to be too critical. So I think it, it, it's it's better than it's probably better than I've seen him um, in, in the last couple of uh, starts he's had, and he did reasonably well. He kept a clean sheet. Uh, which you can't complain about, but I, I don't feel completely easy with him. I don't know if it's because he's just not back, just not the player. Although he's obviously, you know, he must have something in him if he played so often for the Liverpool team that did so well a couple of years ago. But I don't know if it's the the injuries took something away from him. I don't know if it's just not having a the beside. I'm not sure what it is, but I don't feel completely comfortable with him team. But he did, he did hit. It was certainly improvement. I think confidence has got to be a factor. I think I've
2: said on the podcast before that when you're in and out of the team, it's difficult. Obviously, he's missed a lot of football uh, and he's still a young player, so I think all that has to be taken into account. Um, James, you're a, a fan of Matt Lawson and obviously he sat out the game. He was on Carrots player. He's probably not going to be too worried about losing his place watching Flanagan on Boxing Day. Is that fair to say?
4: Yeah, I, th- I think he'll feel that he's probably going to be back in uh, for New Year's Eve. Uh, I thought Flanagan had a really good start, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, And he, he does have that weird sort of tackling technique where he looks like he's going to go through the back of his man all the time and then somehow comes away with the ball but doesn't seem to touch his man at all. Um, but it's only a matter of time, I think, until tackling that way, you, you miss time it and you, you do pick up a booking. And I thought his book in in the, the second half, he on another day, some referees might have given that as a red. I thought it was really late and it, was, it wasn't was a nice-looking challenge. Um but yeah, he just seems to maybe lose himself a bit in the moment sometimes, and he gets dragged inside quite a lot. Um, and you then look at it, and I think a, you know, against a better opposition, maybe would be a bit more exposed on the wing with him playing, because I, I do think Lawton's a you know a little bit better defensively. Though obviously he's he's not a world beater, and he never no one for Burnley ever will be a world beater, particularly defensively, because if you want someone who can get the ball into the box, then there's normally a trade-off for a team at our level that involves them being a little bit less of a defender. Um, But I think on the whole that that Lawton tends to be a little bit better than Flanagan does. It it wasn't a bad game, but I think if you were to pick someone out of the back four, uh, he'd be the one you said was the weak link.
2: Yeah, uh, first clean sheet since October though, I think. So um, some credit certainly has to be shared throughout the team. Flanagan for me, it just seems like it's not really working out, Um, we've not really talked about the January transfer, we're not on the podcast much but I think right back would be a a priority for me if there was an opportunity to upgrade there Um, a lot of people have said we should try and bring back Kieran Trippier, I'd love to see it I don't think it's realistic (laughs) but if there was a player of that sort of quality available I'd I'd love to see us move in that area. Um, Natalie one of the most impressive things about the performance for me though was the way that we closed the game out after scoring the goal, Okay, it was quite late on but Borough didn't create anything, really, in the last 10 minutes. It was all very direct, easy for us to mop up. Benby had a very good game at the back. Tom Heaton barely had a save to make. It was all very comfortable and unlike Burnley.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was, wasn't it? Um it was one of those games I I think Kevin touched on it early on in the podcast that in previous Premier League seasons we have been guilty of um dropping silly points away at home against our relegation rivals and not picking up the points that we need to survive. Yesterday could have easily gone that way and there were moments in the game where it was still nil nil and I just thought Middlesbrough gonna nick this, it's gonna be horrendous. Especially actually with um all the yellow cards that were going around. I just felt that somebody was gonna have to make a a last ditch a tackle at some point. It was going to get missed. Time someone was going to get sent off. There was going to be a penalty. It always felt like it was that somebody was going to nick it, and I was just really worried that it was going to be Middlesbrough and not us. Um, bizarrely, Sky had Sky gave Tom Heaton man of the match, which I found bizarre on one of the reports that I read because giving a keeper man of the match seems to suggest that they've literally had to, well, put in a performance like Heaton did at, at um, Old Trafford this season and Heaton really didn't have very much to do. I was quite disappointed with Middlesbrough. Um, I thought that I could understand why they would be quite negative and I've seen quite a lot of Borough fans very Um, critical of Karanka in his tactics of trying to um, play too defensively and just try and get a point. And I I understand why he did that. Um, A point for them would have been a much better result than it would have been for us given that they were away from home. But once they, you know, there were still 10 minutes to go and the Middlesbrough we saw last season were scoring goals in the 95th, 96th minute, practically every single game. They never gave up and there just didn't seem to be any shift in urgency from them once the goal went in. They just seemed to shrug and go, well, we've lost this now. And even in, in added time at the end of the game, they were just nonchalantly passing the ball amongst themselves in their their um, half. So, yeah, I was disappointed with Middlesbrough from that perspective. I expected um, a stronger competitive edge from them not that I'm complaining in any way but yeah it was, it was an odd one
2: Yeah I think um, on and when there's not really an obvious outstanding candidate I think giving it to the keeper who kept a clean sheet is just uh, a bit lazy journalism, it's just something that's easy to do but yeah he I'd barely anything to do, I think he only made one save really and that was pretty, pretty straightforward um, Kevin there's some needle in the the Middlesbrough press as we've got used to seeing, trying to build up the rivalry, saying that the Borough players were aware of this rivalry out of nowhere. Um, Karanka seems to have a bit of a dig at Burnley as well in his post-match press comments, but there's no rivalry really, is there? It? It's just three points to us, but in the way Karanka goes on, I'm sure there was a lot of fans that were happy to see him on the losing team as well.
5: Uh, yeah, I think there's There is a rivalry it exists purely in the um, Middlesbrough Gazette um, editorial offices which is uh, (laughs) um,
3: that's so true
5: (laughs) they did their best to stoke up a rivalry through the entire of last season with lots of kind of things about Burnley and their bizarre predictions that had us finishing fourth and that That was really fun yeah just rallying their fans up against us and they're at it again this week um, they wrote this, this bizarre huge really long article about the origins of this rivalry and
3: uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, last was, season, that was yeah. it. <laughs> last
5: season, in these pages, well, we tried to we, we, tried to, point, we tried to like point it back to. We said, "Oh, Sean Dyche missed a penalty against them or something like twenty odd years ago." So that's that started the whole rivalry. Oh, no, so,
3: shut so. up! Did they honestly?
5: Yeah, I'm pretty I sure. See
3: but, so, yeah, I, I, I refused to
2: read it. I was like, "You're not getting a click for that." That's just
3: yeah, exactly. I'm not sending traffic your way.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't read it, but. But what I did like was when uh, the Burnley fans, after we were 1-0 up, were sort of singing, you know, Championis And it was uh, probably not not a nice time to be reminded of that as a Borough fan. But you know, we, we said about Carranca, and he's saying after the game that, you know, he thought they were a better team. I've seen his tweet, and the amount of responses from Borough fans are like, you're deluded. It is, is amazing. So I don't know whether the Gazette's now like some sort of, you know, Karanka propaganda machine, but it seems like <laughs> most of their fans don't see things the same way. I'm and I,
5: I just did... wonder if I just wonder if that the the, the men, that kind of rivalry what they manufactured before the game. It, they, they, there was a story in the press also saying that the players were aware of, of the of the rivalry and the tensions leading up to the game. And I just wonder if that helped us in any way. I think Sean Dyche has often set up his team with almost like a, a siege mentality, almost that everything's against us, and we really enjoy those games where we can really battle against something. Uh, and I think if if Middlesbrough's press did set this uh, a little bit of bitterness between us and built the game up a bit more, I wonder if that did actually help us uh, back into our hands a bit.
3: Yeah, I think you've got a point there, Kev. I think I'm, I'm quite. it's quite interesting that Birdie picked up on that um, Bury reaction, actually. I saw that on social media yesterday and um, I did have a bit of a smug chuckle to myself. But Birdie's right. The Middlesbrough fans at the moment are not happy at all. Um, and I do wonder, I do question the mentality of the fans and the club at the moment. When you look at the table today, both Middlesbrough and Burnley are doing very, very well. Middlesbrough are four points away from the relegation zone now that's still four points clear and even if we were sat here now at boxing day four points clear of relegation i'd still be all right with that you know the fact we're seven is great oh we're six or seven six sorry um i'd be I'd, you know that's great but even if we we're only four that's still really good you know and i saw um robbie savage on his um radio program he tweeted out asking for borough fans discussion to say what is it going to take to to make you survive? You're in so much trouble. And I thought the four points clear at the moment. They're doing really well. They're a newly promoted side that haven't been in the Premier League for some time. And I don't understand this mentality. And Karanka, I think he's adding to that. And the the responses to his tweets yesterday were really quite harsh. I didn't see any Borough fans who were saying that they were the better side or that they were robbed or that you know they they should have won the game. Absolutely, everybody said well. Burnley did what Burnley do very, very well and we didn't do anything to stop it. So I just I do question the um, mentality, not just of Middlesbrough, but other clubs around us in this relegation fight. And I wonder whether psychologically Dasha's got this absolutely nailed and that could be just an extra um, bit for us that's going to keep us up.
2: Yeah, for me, like has shown himself before to be mentally weak and from what I read from him after the game, it was the same again. Like, it sounded a bit like Daish in some of the, the games we've had this season. It's like, oh, we had chances. I'm like, you had one chance. Still only missed a chance in the first half. That's the only chance you had in the entire game. And saying we had chances. No, you didn't. <laughs> I was talking to a Borough fan after the game and said, well, they had all the possession in the second half. Like, Yeah, we never have the possession. Like, we beat Liverpool, we're having 19% possession or something. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I think we edged the game. I think we we deserved to win it just about. I think it would have been a bit of a travesty if Borough had not won in at the end instead. Um, but yeah, for, for me, the longer that they stick with Karanka, the better because I think they could probably get more out of that squad. I wonder if that's the frustration. They signed all these high-profile players like Valdez and Grado, spent a lot of money on some other players. Jordan Rose caught in the team. They spent 12 million quid on him in January. Um, so I wonder if expectations were just more than... Um, Finished 17th, which is what Burnley fans were hoping for. I wonder if that's adding a bit more unnecessary pressure on Middlesbrough. Certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, but while we're talking about Iso Karanka's tweets, that gives me the perfect opportunity to go into Tweet of the Week, which I assume, Natalie, is not going to be won by Iso Karanka. Tweet of
5: the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of
4: the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the week.
3: It is not. I, I, I so wanted to. I really, really wanted just to give it to him just for the comedy tweet of the week. But I just couldn't really deal with all of the traffic that was going to come our way, and the. I just. I don't want to do anything else to massage this fake, ridiculous rivalry that's going on b- between uh, us and Burra. It, it doesn't exist. Leave us alone. Um, but it was um, in Burrow, um baiting, I guess, a little bit. It was this week's tweet of the week. Um, whilst we have talked. Um, on the the, the analysis of the game today about what a good strike Andre's was. And I don't want to take away the quality of the strike, but this tweet this week did make me giggle a little bit. It's from Benjamin Peacock, who says a reminder to myself that if I ever meet Victor Valdez in a bar, I owe him a drink. So well done, Benjamin. That made me laugh quite a lot. And you won it this week's tweet of the week. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's true. You just, I've just realized what you did, Jamie, that was brutal. You you robbed me of my indeed moment.
2: I didn't I, rob you. I, you. just didn't do it. So.
3: Well, it it could it, it didn't really flow on from your thing about giving it to Ranky, So for everybody who likes my catchphrase, indeed.
2: All, all the fans it. out there, one for the fans. Yeah, well, <laughs> and which if you basically are, one of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are a fan of the podcast, I'm all about the faultless segues on this week's podcast. We are currently running a Kickstarter campaign to support the podcast throughout The rest of the season and for the rest of the year, hopefully. As well, we've raised quite a bit of money already. We've had a lot of people contribute. But if you do want to contribute further or if you haven't donated yet, please feel free to do so. We'll put the link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. We've got various rewards starting from uh, thanks on the podcast. Stickers, we are running out of stickers. So, if you want an exclusive, none and a sticker, you need to hurry up. um You can introduce the podcast, be a guest on the podcast, or come on and do a quiz. There's loads of different things you can do. Rewards range from £3 to £200. And the first thank yous are coming up next. So, thank you to Craig, Patrick Ford, Derek Scott's Foot, Catherine Ellidge, Ian D. Roger Howarth, special one to Roger actually, he was our first pledger, so thanks very much for getting us up and running. Dave Jessup, Jim Knight, Nigel Hodgson and Leila Marks. Thank you very much to those 10 people who have pledged to our Kickstarter. Um, moving on then, before we talk about the stumbling game, um, Julie Barton has unfortunately been in the news again. Um, apparently signing for Burnley, he was at the turf yesterday, but the FA have charged him over over a 1000 Um, bets on football matches over the last 10 years um Kevin it's a strange one this because the rules changed in 2014 um but Barton had been tweeting about putting bets on apparently so it just seems weird that they've picked up on it now although I'm not suggesting it's conspiracy
5: against Burnley no it's, it's it's a strange one I've it's 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 weird that Burnley could potentially be um Disadvantaged twice in the, in the space of a few months for something that happened has happened kind of historically. We don't know when it's how he, it, this. You know he could have been placing many of these bets last season when he was with us. So it's it's difficult to know too much without looking at the details. I mean, it might be the case that he's been doing lot last season. It might be the case that these are all historic to when the rule change came in. When the rule change and he stopped doing it. It's it's difficult to know really because I think the FA have said it's within a ten year period. Um, but like you say, obviously the the rules change. For we don't know if uh, the, some of the bets are related to the new law, but happened before it came in, or all related to the law as it was at that time. So it's quite difficult. But um, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> obviously you've had the, the fans coming out saying, "Oh, it's a conspiracy against," and it, basically anything that happens now is a conspiracy against Burnley. Um, so it's like you can imagine the FA setting a big a uh, big meeting room every week, trying to find the, the newest way to stick, to to ruin our chances. But um, yeah, I think I think the logical thing is that he's been charged in Scotland and that's prompted the FA to have a bit of a look of it. Uh, I think it'd be it'd be silly for the FA not to do that. Really, if if they see him as somebody who has played in England for his entire career, goes up to Scotland and gets charged with, um with, with betting illegally. And of course, yeah, of course, the FA are going to look at it. So I, I, that's that's that seems to be the logical thing for how it's happened now. Hopefully. Um, it, if, if you take the, the Scotland precedent for how many bets he plays and how many time or whatever, it, it could face a pretty big ban. Hopefully, um, it won't affect too much. So I, I, I really hope it doesn't affect his move towards... I hope we, he can still come into a side and uh, and and give us that bit... Like I said, I think I mentioned for other week. It's not just the, the his ability on the pitch, what I think he brings. It's that real mentality and that real winning mentality and the, the mental strength he brings. So I really hope that we can... Um, yeah, we it doesn't affect too much. I think I've, I've read something that we, we're putting the move on hold until the end of the disciplinary. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, hopefully it doesn't put too much of the spanner in works so and uh, we can we can bring him into the team.
2: Yeah, I, I saw something that actually suggested a bookmaker had tipped off the FA um, some time ago, and that the reason it had taken so long was just a sheer number of bets. It seems weird that a bookie would like shop one of their customers, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense to me, the whole thing seems um, a bit weird, Um, Barton of course already has a one game suspension from the Scottish FA punishment Um, but the English FA seems to be dealing with this issue in fines although the number of bets put on by Barton might mean they decide to ban him as well, we'll just have to wait and see um, on that one. Natalie, I think as soon as Natalie left, as soon as Natalie left Rangers, as soon as Barton left Rangers, it seemed on the cards that he was going to be back. So it'd just be a huge shame if something like this got in the way of a move that seems like it suits all parties.
3: Yeah, it really would. I was absolutely ecstatic when the club. Um, announce the news that um, he was re-signing us and whilst it did look like it was on the cards and it, everybody thought that it was going to be the deal that was done, I, there was still a part of me that was a bit too nervous to to, to believe that it would happen um, so if this does affect it in any way then I, you know, it's going to be a huge disappointment because it just lifted all the fans and I think the main thing that most of us thought was that re-signing Joey could very well be the difference that we need just to um, get us over the line. I don't expect him um, to have as strong an impact technically as he did last season I don't expect him to be the player of the year I don't expect him to completely change games what I do expect him to have is to keep the players focused to keep their optimism up to make them believe that they are winners and just lead them and and instil that winning mentality into them that may very well be enough that's going to keep them up Um, especially away from home when they are really struggling and obviously there is um, a lot to learn in in trying to get some points away from home and, and their mental attitude when they are facing defeats all the time. Um, I think Barton will really help them with that. And you know, he he was a huge factor last season in getting us that championship. He didn't want to just be promoted automatically. He didn't want second place. He wanted to win it. And if he can go into that dressing room and he can say to the players that he doesn't, you know, he I expect him also to say, um, I don't we just want 17th. We want to be comfortably surviving. We want to be thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth. We don't want to be scraping up on the last game of the season. We want to wrap this up. Um so yeah, you're right, Jamie. If this if this doesn't happen, um it's gonna be a huge blow to us. I think if um if we only look facing here a two, three game ban, I think we'll still sign him. Um it's a blow that we'll lose him for January, but one of those will be a Cup game and one of them will be Man City, so um they're not the worst games to to have a ban for. Um I think if it's any more than three I think the, they'll probably won't, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, it's it's a weird one for me. I mean, um, he's, he's already got this one-match ban, as we've said, so he wasn't going to come straight in anyway. But I think a lot of people were hoping he was going to be pretty much ready to go this time. Um, obviously, last season when we signed him, it took him a while to get up to speed. He'd not been training. Um, but this season, he's had a full pre-season at another club. He's played some games, although he's been out, out for a little while. I'm sure he's been keeping himself fit. He's been training with us for a few weeks as well, so... I don't think there was any reason why he wouldn't be ready to play pretty much straight away, so it would be a, a massive shame if this suspension got in the way. Um, James, do you think there's a place for Barton in the team, though? Or do you think it's a bit of adding depth? Obviously, we've seen Tarkovsky play midfield at times this season. We've not really got a lot of cover in there. He seems like a pretty obvious um, substitution for Defoe, although Defoe's not in the team at the moment. They're very very um, similar ilk player.
4: Yeah, I think... But anything to to hopefully keep us from needing to use Tarkovsky in the middle, I think obviously he's good. Um, you know, no disrespect to Tarkovsky. I think he's put in actually really respectable performances when he's been called upon, but you'd rather have a you know, a natural central midfielder uh, available to come on rather than, you know, someone who's doing the, the Grand Branch role. But um I, I think actually it could be a key to be able to use Defoe a bit more because um, you know, if he if you Say Defoe's not got the legs to, to play more than 60 minutes. Well, then why not play Defoe 60 minutes and know you're going to bring Barton on for the last half an hour? You know, they are a, a similar sort of player. I think, you know, what Barton lacks in skill that Defoe has, I think he makes up for him the, the grit that Defoe doesn't have. Um, but he's still getting, you know, a player who, you know, puts some work right in. I, I think, you know, you look at the fitness of Defoe, and part of it is because he, he doesn't he's not a luxury player. You're not carrying him for the rest of the game when he's not got the ball. You know, he does put a foot in. He he does do his work. Um, He just doesn't quite have the legs to, to do it for 90 minutes like Barton did for us last season. So, you know, it could be a key to using, to, to using Barton more. And I think anyone who's got that, that little bit of quality in them uh, just to try and help, you know, fully utilise Gray uh, could be key for us, you know, coming down the stretch. And, you know, Barton's been in tough games before. He's been in the Premier League. He's obviously had a tough campaign last season with us and i think mentally he'll just help the side a little bit and it might help us break that that away you know that away duck and uh i think anything he can bring to the dressing room and sort of you know help out in that sort of way uh, c- can only be a, a good thing and obviously he's already around the club now so maybe we have been seeing a little bit of the impact of him when he's been at home
2: yeah i mean i'm, I'm sure that um He is going to have an impact, assuming that the deal goes through, as they expect, and the FA don't ban him for six months or something ridiculous. Um, Because for me, leadership's been one of the things that we've maybe lacked a little bit in some games, especially if we go behind, it doesn't feel like we're going to get back into it, whereas Barton's a sort of character who would be lifting heads and ging people up and giving people a kick up the backside if they need it, giving them the arm around the shoulders, he's that sort of leader on the pitch, he's very much... Was Dash as a lieutenant for me last season, although he didn't have the armband on, he, he was very captain like in the way he goes about his football. So I'm very much hopeful that Barton will get to see Barton in a Burnley shirt again soon, even if he does play a bit of a bit pot role.
4: I think that's key there as well that we just mentioned about Dash. That I think Dash has ultimate trust in him, you know, and, and for a player who's had the, the potted history he has, uh, I think that's maybe more key than any of the other things we've mentioned that, you know, the manager trusts him because uh, there will be a lot of managers out there who. I don't think we we'll would trust Joy Joy Barton these days.
2: Yeah, and maybe that's essentially the problem with De at the moment. Maybe Dash just doesn't fully trust him yet. Um, Sunderland up next then for for Burnley. Fixture is quite kind in some ways in that we've had two games at home over the festive period, although massive games that we really need to be taking points from. Um, Sunderland still struggling, beating at Old Trafford on Boxing Day three one, although they played quite well at times. In that one, I suppose, expecting similar to the the Borough game in a lot of ways, Natalie, it's going to be quite tight, you'd expect, but someone do have defensive mistakes in them and it will be down to Burnley to force the issue and try and get on the front foot in this game.
3: Yeah, it will. I don't think that we can play... Quite as um, defensive as we did against Middlesbrough yesterday. I think Sunderland are a completely different outfit, and they they do also have just that little bit more Premier League experience. And I, I know that they are having a difficult season again, and they are um, in another relegation battle. They seem to be every single year, but let's not forget that every single year they manage to get themselves out of it. So you know you can't discount the experience that they have in that side, and they will. They will come to turf more realising, I think, much more how important three points would be to take away from us, um, much more so than Middlesbrough did. So I think they'll be more ruthless than Middlesbrough. I think Middlesbrough were a little bit naive yesterday in their tactics. Um, I think they thought they could come to turf more and a point would be enough. Sunderland won't think with that mentality. The players and their manager will not think like that. They will come to turf more knowing full well how strong our record is at home and knowing how important three points um, could be, not only for their survival, Survival, um, prospects but also in terms of us um, being able to survive as well so I am expecting a very difficult game um, they have some quality in there as well, they are able to score some goals so I think our back four um, are going to have their work cut out for them saying that, we've beaten better sides than that at Turf Moor and I don't think we've got anything to lose and I, and I genuinely think that we will play um, to our strengths and, and, and I think providing, providing we can set off And have the first half that we know we usually do have at Turf Moor and we can get in their faces and we can really create some chances and I think we'll be absolutely fine. If we set off too slowly and don't um, attack them and play a little bit too passively. then I think we can find ourselves a couple of goals behind very, very early. That took a turn. <laughs> You've been quite upbeat. Could be 2 no early on. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just a warning for me. You know, I'll, I'll ring Dycha up and I'll let him know that he just needs to just keep an eye on that. <laughs> well,
2: I know you're joking, but you do know everyone, so I won't be surprised if showed is in your phone book. Um, <laughs> Kevin, the, the pressure's off a little bit. I think for this one, having beaten Middlesbrough already, I know we were talking about maximum points minimum expectation from these games, but I don't think it'd be too much of a disaster if we drew this one having beaten Middlesbrough. Um but we are favourites and we will be expected to to win with our record at
5: home this season. I
2: just think the having those points in the bag already it means we can maybe play with a bit more freedom.
5: Yeah, I think it certainly takes a little bit of pressure off. I think um I think four points is the absolute minimum from these two games. Um you said you said that the fictionalists have been had been quite kind to us with um Borough and Sunderland over the festive period, but it, it that only works if we if we win them I think if if we'd got beaten by Middlesbrough and actually it makes the fixtures a lot more difficult because if we'd got beat by Middlesbrough that makes this game that would make, make this game massively uh, important It'd be so much pressure it could potentially be it's, and it's, it's you don't want to be talking in these terms this early in the season but it could be the difference between staying up and going down if you if you lose the two of the, of your relegation candidates. It, in a row at home uh particularly considering our, our waveform so yeah i think the fixture list is only kind if we if we win the games certainly winning against middlesbrough means that we can like, like yeah i think like i think the word freedom you use there is, is, is probably the right one it probably gives us a, a little bit more freedom to go out there and and play a bit more comfortably knowing that it's not the end of the world if, if we don't if we if we don't win the game Uh it, Hopefully, yeah, we can play with a bit more freedom, be a bit, have a bit more confidence of the ball, go out there and, and and take control of the game and do what we do what we do best and 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 get that get a win hopefully. And James, the last time Sunderland came to the
2: turf in the Premier League, it was probably the worst game of the season, nil <laughs> nil. Marvin Sordell played up front, um, but surely there'll be goals in this one. Sunderland at the back, very dodgy. Um, conceded three on Boxing Day, uh, although a couple of them were, were very good finishers they were, Sunderland giving the ball in very dangerous areas. They're a team that are going to give us chances.
4: Yeah, I think that you know, you look at um, the Borough side, and obviously they've they've been very good defensively. I think they have two you know pretty good centre backs. When you look at Sunderland, I don't think you have that same you know feeling that they are a defensively sound team. Um, and I think that's key. While they may possess, you know, I think obviously Defoe uh, carried them last season and took them over the line. He's still a great player, but you need to have a bit more about you at the Premier League level. And I, I think at home, uh, um, you know, we'll just be, I think, ultimately too good for them. Hopefully on the day, because you know our home form has been great this season. We've we've played some great games against some really strong sides as well. And um, I just don't think Sunderland are really a team that should cause us any trouble at home. And I know that's obviously setting me up for a pretty big pretty big fall when they, they then come and uh, hammer us 4-0 or something but you know that they, they you do have to watch them but I think you have to watch every team in this league you know when Bromer said you could be 2-0 down early on I think if there's a, a team in this league that that, that isn't the case for um, you know they're very lucky to be here because most teams in this league on their day if you don't play well enough can, can punish you but I think at home the way we set up and you know it should, should be a decent crowd as well Um Given the importance, uh, three three points I think is the minimum expectation.
2: Yeah, they've they've been better recently, someone, but their good results seem to be coming at home. They don't really seem to have a lot of threat away from home. Jimeno falls obviously a very good player. He's always got a chance of scoring goals, but they've not really got the supply line to him. I don't think. And although Jordan Pickford's a very talented young goalkeeper, someone's defence is probably the worst in the league apart from Swansea. So. Um, I'd be very disappointed if we don't score, and if we defend like we did against Borough, then we should keep it all the cliche. I yeah,
4: think. you only have to look at the Abraham goal. has yeah Abraham goal, don't you? The, yeah, yesterday gave it away. The, no, the defence oh, back is terrible, all over the place. If if they pass the ball around like that, with the way we press, I have no doubt that you know they'll they'll get the pocket pit. They'll get it pit by you know either Dean or Andre Gray, and they clearly didn't have the Pace to, to then recover. And, you know, I, I think ultimately we need to play to our strengths, really. And, you know, we need to recognise Andres, you know, a, a pretty quick guard and um, their defence is a bit porous. So I'd be saying we, we need to look at ways to thread the ball in behind and, you know, get it to Andres' feet in a dangerous area. And, you know, they've got a good young keeper, but he can't carry them, I don't think, for a, for a whole game against us.
2: Yeah, United's third goal is always the same obviously sensational finish from Mkhitaryan and he was offside but it was against someone just giving the ball away close to their own penalty here. I think we can really um, triumph if they're going to play the similar tactics. In terms of team selection then, um, just before we round off the podcast, Hendrick suspended, Lawton back um, but Dean Marnie got to assume he's a doubt after going off injured. What do you think Dash might do for this one James? Do you think Sam Volts might be back in after he's impact from the bench. De Four surely a contender
4: with Hendrik and Marnie potentially both out. I, th- I think it's a tricky one because obviously Hendrik's definitely out.
2: Good Munson as well came off the bench after coming back so he's possibly ready for a start.
4: Yeah, I, I think the-, the easiest one maybe to-, to touch on is that I think Flanagan will make way again for Horton to come back in. Um, then in the middle, uh, it depends what way he wants to play it because obviously there's this this total that maybe he doesn't fancy De Four in a four full man midfield so will he maybe change it that way but the thing is I think the way Gray's played recently you don't want to drop Gray and there's always been a reluctance to play Gray up front by himself um, so I'd like to think obviously, assuming Marnie makes it that we will give it a go play Marnie in the four in the middle um, I'd bring Goodmanson in for, for our field I thought he was the the wheat link in the midfield yesterday I just I felt that he didn't show the intelligence we know he has like when he was playing balls, particularly the corners. He wasn't taking into account the blusteriness. There was the corner that went straight out, which I think was partly to do with the wind. Um, and gunmanson obviously, has been a, a great player for us this season after he got going. Um, so I'd like to bring him back in because I thought George Boyd actually had one of his, his better games this season. I thought that was the George Boyd that we'd like to see a lot more of. So on that basis... I'm not going to be an advocate for dropping him on this occasion, and then yeah, I'd bring Volks in up front with with Greg. Go back to you know what we knew in the the championship. Um, I don't think it's a uh, necessarily down to Barnes being poor. I just think that maybe it's time to, to to mix it up and try and you know get a spot by using a, a common part of partnership that we know pretty well.
2: Yeah, I think um, all very well reasoned, and I wouldn't be surprised if if Dash did that. Um... But then Kevin, last season we had such a settled team, and he isn't one for. Although you've called him the tink Man recently, um, he isn't one for for normally making changes for the sake of it. Um, I suppose with another big game at City coming up soon, he might be thinking about fitness as well. But um, Sunderland are one of the few teams in the Premier League to play two up top, so there's not really any reason for us to not play two up front.
5: Indeed, um, I think it'd be really intre- I think it's going to tell us a lot about. Um... Daisha's attitude towards, um, and he's for where he sees Stephen Steven, Steven DeFore really, because logically you'd go, you'd go for four four two 4-4-2 and, and bring DeFore in. Um, if we if he does switch to a, a 4-5-1 and brings, um, brings DeFore in into the midfield in a 4-5-1, that really would suggest that he he's not a the confidence in DeFore, in a in a four-man midfield. That would be the only reason I could think he'd go back to, um, you go back to a four, five-man midfield after it after it worked, after it worked well against Middlesbrough with a, a four-four-two, uh, the way Sunderland set up, and also the fact that the personnel isn't there. We've only got, you know, I know James disagrees, but Arfield isn't a central midfielder. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the logical thing is that yeah, De comes in. Hopefully, just the Hendrick was moved over. Mario will be fine. So that's the that's the logical conclusion. Although notion Shundai should probably be, um, Arfield and Tarkovsky in the middle.
2: <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> I haven't bought my ticket yet but if that's going to be the midfield I don't think I will um, Natalie does lastly from you change up front maybe Sam has good impact from the bench he's not been great recently but very intelligent flicks header for, for Andrea Gray's goal and that partnership was sensational for us last season
3: yeah, I, we talked about it, didn't we? I think it was maybe last week or the week before, saying that um, it felt very strange that um, Gray and Volks weren't playing up front together when they had such a successful time last season. Um, I, I didn't mind seeing Volks. Dropped a little bit. I think he um, I think he benefited from the rest, but I also um, have said on a couple of podcasts that I felt like he could do with just sharpening up his um, shots in front of goal a little bit. I thought he was absolutely outstanding when he came on yesterday. That header for the goal was absolutely sublime. In time, when we were watching it, it just looked like he'd jumped up early and he'd won the ball, which he, we know he does very, very well. It wasn't until we watch the replays after the game on um, last night sorry um, that you realise that not only does he get up there he beats the defender he wins the header and he just places it perfectly right where Gray needs it and you can't you just can't discount his role in that goal. It was absolutely superb. Um, I, I, you know, great, uh, Sorry, Barnes has done really well when he's come back and I think there's a place for him in that team and I think he's needed in certain games. But the only partnership that is working and the only strikers who know each other inside out at the moment are Volks and Gray. And it seems to me, Daft, that we don't take advantage of that when we can do. Yeah,
2: I agree. I'd like to see Volks and Gray. Um, and I think to 4 and a four four two against Sunderland if if he doesn't trust him against Sunderland when their midfield is atrocious <laughs> um, then it would be a clear indication for me and I agree with James on Goodmanson and Lawton I'd change probably the entire right wing maybe play Boyd out on the left um, so maybe quite a few changes for that one normally we round off with predictions but we did predictions for the Sunderland game last week because we weren't sure if we were going to squeeze this podcast in But luckily, we've come up with an alternative. One of our listeners suggested a predictions league type thing, which we are going to launch early in 2017 as part of our uh, newly upgraded and rebranded podcast extravaganza. Um, So to kick that off now, we're going to do mid-season, end-of-season predictions. Um, So from the four of us, I want a final league position and a points total and this will be a tie-break for the, the league at the end of the season, if necessary. Um, so, did I explain that okay? Does everyone know what's going on? <laughs> James, we'll start with you. Where are Burnley going to finish in the table, and on how many points? And it's probably a big disadvantage going first, so sorry. The points bit is really hard, isn't it? Oh. Yeah,
3: you could have given us advance notice about this, Smith. We could have actually oh. done some work
2: beforehand. Oh. I know Natalie loves to do research, so will put you all on. The
3: spot I do. So. I haven't revised this no, test me. I,
4: I think if you, do, maybe, maybe if you do research, you'd probably overthink it, wouldn't you? Um, I think we'll, we'll have a reasonable showing. I think we'll finish 16th um, on 40 points.
2: 16th on 40. Um, a hint for you it would be a good idea if we didn't say the same. <laughs> Kevin, so 16, yes, there
4: you go. i've got sixteen and 40 16 and so 40. you can all figure out your own thing
2: J- james has nailed that one down are uh, you gonna go higher or lower
5: higher or lower okay Pulled bruce a bit the um, is right <laughs> i'm gonna go i'm gonna go for um i'm gonna be take take no negative
3: no. approach and go for
5: 17th oh. um, 17th with 39 points and we're gonna we're gonna stay up by by goal difference. It's gonna be a ninety fourth minute winner on my last
2: day of the season. Interesting. So you've gone lower in the table and lower on points. Um, Natalie, you can go next then. We've got fifteen, no, sixteenth oh. and seventeenth locked down. So you are either gonna have to go higher or relegated.
3: I think this feels like a. 36 points is going to see you surviving this season. So I'm going to go 16th.
2: You can't have 16th. James has
4: got
3: 16th. Well, oh, I can't have 17th either. Surely if I don't do the same points. Oh, man.
4: Sorry, you're going to have to be negative and say we go down.
3: No, <laughs> no. I'm not being the one that says we go down. Why did you come to me last?
2: I haven't this gone yet. Lost. I'm last. Sigh.
3: Well, I think we're going to get 38 points, but there's no way we can be 15th on 38 points because there's no way that five teams are going to get less well, than thirty points. you can, you can points. say the
2: same as James. It means that the points will just have to be the super special yeah, type rate. Yeah, the
3: points is a different thing. Right, so, so you're going
2: to I, say 16th as well? I'm
3: going to say 16th, and I think we'll get 38 points.
5: Right. And I'm gonna. To... Well, this changes everything. Can I, I want to... No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm gonna go lower than
2: everyone so that if we do get relegated, at least I can say I was right. <laughs> so i want to say 18th and say 37 points. So if we do really badly, I'll at least look clever. Um, if you want to join in with this, please do feel free to send us your predictions. You do so via Twitter. Uh, our at is at nonanevernet as always get in touch with any feedback comments questions etc email address is podcast at net. you've still got time to pledge to our kickstarter as well i didn't mention it early but we've put some new goals up there the next one is to interview a club legend we've got a couple of ideas for that but if there is someone in particular that you'd like us to try and get please get in touch as well i think we're about 150 quid away from that goal and if we reach a thousand pounds we are going to partner with a local charity as our sponsor for the rest of the season. Again, we've got some ideas on that. But if you'd like to put forward a suggestion, we are open to ideas for that as well. So tweet us at no net or at never net even or email us podcast at ever dot net if you've got any questions about that. Um, but that's it for this week. Next podcast will be next year, um, after the Sunderland game on new year's eve so thanks to kevin james and natalie for joining me this week thanks to rick who's provided our art as ever adam who's back from escaping earthquakes to edit this week's podcast i've been jamie Smith. yes (laughs) i've been jamie Smith. (laughs) thanks for listening goodbye right i'm gonna go and eat some brussels sprouts now so see you god
5: sicko see you kevin i love brussels sprouts the best thing ever
4: Brussels sprouts in a, in a, in a taco. Mm. Worst thing about
3: Christmas. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Brussels sprouts in a taco? Is that what in you just a said? taco? You see,
5: bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, what? you fucking vile. You <laughs>
2: disgust me.
1: The Talk Sport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything